1: The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. We have talked about Lyme disease a lot of times on yes. this program. And, and you know, in a, in a way that we're looking for answers. And we might get some tonight. I'm really
2: excited about this. Well, you know me with ticks. I'm deathly terrified. It's the one thing that I think totally terrifies me. Well, they're nasty. First of all, they're just and they're
1: they're sneaky. Second of all, and uh, they seem to leap uh, tall buildings with a single
2: bound to jump on you. Well, I mean, <laughs> that, that's the tick on <laughs> oh, Amazon so Prime. Yeah, totally, yeah, you're totally uh, on. The that's wrong. not what we're talking about. No, today? we're talking about those little little annoying uh, things, those do, you know, deer ticks and everything else. Do they fly or do they just jump? No, they just jump. They just jump. They're, they just jump and run. It's crazy, right? Well, um, yeah, we were filming. We were filming out in uh, filming an episode of Ghost Nation out in Pennsylvania. and... And you know, got back to the hotel and everything else. Jump in the shower and realized I had two uh, two on my uh, chest. Yeah, I mean, it's like oh, you come sure those on. were ticks? Those were ticks. <laughs> there wasn't a th- it wasn't a third nipple. <laughs> okay. was, yeah, they were ticks <laughs> because you
1: know you look down quickly. You just never know. Um, <laughs> but we're we're going to be talking with Chris Newby tonight. She's a science writer and she's written a book called Bitten, and it's a The culmination of a five year investigation and research project into determining what the origin of Lyme disease is, because she had very early on in her investigation gotten information that there was a military component to this whole thing or a biological weapon component to this whole thing.
2: Well, living out here in New England, I mean, they they've talked about it for forever with the whole Plum Island and all that stuff. Um, and it'd be interesting to find out if any of that is actually is actually true. Um, I mean, we're talking about something where there's what two to four, well, three to four million people who suffer from Lyme disease, I believe. And on an average year, it's anywhere from like four hundred thousand every year. Well, yeah, it's like yeah. three or four hundred thousand people a year are diagnosed yeah. with it.
1: Yeah, And it's a very, very difficult disease to diagnose to begin with. In fact, I think there's it's very common to get false positive and false negatives in the, uh, diagnosis, the tests that they do to diagnose it. Um, what I don't understand is why don't they just treat it? I mean, I, I guess there's a discussion about
2: antibiotics being overused and stuff like that, but the Lyme disease isn't something you want to mess around with. Well, my brothers had Lyme disease. Uh, one of my nieces had Lyme disease. And if they catch it early enough i know i know they can treat it but i it leads to some serious yeah, it serious does. issues
1: it does and it did for our guest chris newby that's why she started down this path it took her about 10 years to get over the disease itself uh so we're gonna have a great conversation about this i've got another thing that might bother you by oh, the way gosh. now you fly a lot you travel a lot you fly dude do. don't don't ruin
2: it for me I mean, no no do, this we well, i don't
1: about? think this will I, although it might um have you ever seen a service
2: animal on a plane Absolutely, I have, yeah. Okay, a lot of dogs. A lot of dogs. I was on a plane uh, about two months ago, and a lady had a parrot. Okay. Which, a, a parrot I mean, service animal? Uh, yeah, or well, just a parrot what, pet? That... No, I mean, she claimed it was a service animal. I don't know. It, well, well the thing was loud for the whole trip. I <laughs> that's for my Bose headphones. That's a little bit
1: irritating. But how about if you had to sit next to someone who had a service animal that was a miniature horse? Why,
2: why wouldn't they just sit on it? I mean, why, why? Well, probably because you can't strap in. I don't. I don't know. Well, um, you can strap it down. But
1: I mean, even a miniature horse is a pretty big animal. That yeah, yeah. I. Yeah, that's definitely bigger than a dog. I can tell you that much. Bigger than a dog uh, takes up a lot of room. And, and listen, I've been around. Where horses. does
2: it sit? I mean, well, that's the thing. It, it stands stand, there. Stand
1: in the in the aisle. I'm hoping Orion uh, will grab some uh, pictures of. There's a new story about this and how all the airlines are now allowing uh, miniature horses to be considered service animals.
2: How do you what? How is that possible? Well, somebody was trying to get an ostrich, wasn't it, on, on a plane a few months ago?
1: I don't know. I and don't it was, know.
2: Uh, but where do where do these things sit? I mean, they can't be in the aisle. They obstruct you. Yeah, they
1: they have to kind of be right at your knees, I guess. I you know where else I mean, they're gonna they going to? Unless of course it's, it's not like it's going to lay down. Unless you need a special. Unless you have like one of those seats where there's you know like near the exit thing where there's a little bit of space. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, But then it blocks the exit. Well,
2: maybe it kicks the door out when you need it. I mean, let me just maybe say it. As a guy from original from upstate New York and you've owned horses mm-hmm. whether it's miniature or not it They're big. It, it can leave some serious <laughs> some serious stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well that was my next thought. Um that
1: that wouldn't be pretty. I don't know if you can you I don't think you can uh, potty train a horse. I just
2: don't think that's don't possible. Don't they have those things that they can hook on the back that it's like the catch things? trays? Yeah, it's a little diaper it's thing. like a catch tray it's like but a bucket. But it still smells. If, good. I, all I know is I remember taking the wife for a horse uh, uh, one of those uh rides in, in new york city and uh the horse decided to not it didn't you know drop a deuce or anything but it, did you it, just say that yes yes i did <laughs> but it decided to um hit us with uh, a silent but deadly yeah okay and yeah. it was the worst 30 seconds of my life <laughs> i mean I, my eyes were watering my nose it was bad it was it was like being hit with mace yeah, it's it's it can be it can be nasty. Uh, uh, a horse. nasty I mean, yeah, nasty is an understatement.
1: The the sheer volume of material and. Um Stuff well, that because you know, no matter. A horse, yeah, well,
2: exactly, and you know, I can't see it, but you know it hits you. Oh, you know it's there. <laughs> I know. cannot
1: believe we're actually having this conversation. This, is, this yeah. was well, an this innocent. Happens, this was so. an innocent conversation about a service animal.
2: On the I think way. you'd ha-
1: you'd have to be like in the back
2: of the plane to have a service animal. That's a miniature horse. <laughs> that's what I'd say. That's what. It, I would and say. then if the bathroom is back there, how does this? I just don't know how it works. Yeah, I'm. I'm really actually surprised it's
1: allowed at all, but uh, apparently it is. So. <laughs> You know, before you commit to
2: that service dog, think about a little horse. little horse. I'll call it a miniature horse, but you know they're big. Which is still bigger than a dog. Much bigger than a dog. So, I don't know. Hey, if you haven't yet, make sure you head over to facebook.com slash radio, Like the Facebook page for us. Then head to beyondrealityradio.com. You find all the stations we're on across the country. You can also download the free smartphone apps. In case we don't air on a station in your area, or you just want to be able to listen to the show on the go. Those are free apps. Uh, you can listen to the show, catch past shows, join the online chat, and more. So make sure you check that out. And uh, just keep an eye on the uh, the actual station list, because that's constantly being updated with new stations all the time. Yeah, and once
1: again, um, I know we mentioned it last night, and it seems as though Florida is going to escape most of the danger and the destruction that the Bahamas saw. Oh man! Um, which
2: we're really, really sympathizing with the folks there. There's, there's some serious devastation. Um, I was watching a video earlier, and on the second floor of a house, and the water was all. It, it was already yeah. coming in up yeah. on the second floor.
1: Yeah. Thoughts and prayers to all folks who um, had to suffer through that. And certainly, uh, we, I think that there were seven uh, fatalities from the storm. Um, you know, not out of the woods yet. Uh, I don't. I'm not really sure what the latest forecast is saying, but um, you
2: know, these things are always dangerous, and you got to pay attention. Absolutely. Our prayers go out to you. Please just uh, stay safe.
1: All right, so let's take a break. When we come back, we'll bring in our guest, where we'll be talking with Chris Newby. She's a science writer. We're going to be talking about Lyme disease and its Cold War
2: origins. And we will not be talking about miniature horses anymore. anymore. All right, you'll listen to Jason JV, Beyond Reality Radio. We'll be back after this.
1: Look out, Rochester. ScareCon is coming for you. The Northeast's leading fan convention for all things pop culture is celebrating its ninth year at the Rochester Riverside Hotel, October 18th through the 20th. ScareCon brings an amazing group of celebrities, panel discussions, film, Screenings, great vendors, and amazing parties. It's a weekend of fun from start to finish, and it's family friendly. For more information, visit scaricon.com and check us out on Facebook. Use the promo code BRR at checkout to save 20% on your admission. That's scaricon.com, October 18th through the 20th in Rochester, New York. Tonight, our guest is Chris Newby. Chris is a science writer. Her website is Chris with a K newbie.com, and she's got a book out called Bitten. Also, she's the senior producer of a film called Under Our Skin, both the book and the film, discuss ticks and Lyme disease, something that uh, a lot of us have been scratching our heads about for a long time. We might get some answers tonight. Chris, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. It's an honor to have you here with us.
3: Thanks. Thanks for the invitation.
1: Oh, thanks so much for coming and joining us. So this all started for you because you had a very, very personal experience with Lyme disease. Tell us what happened.
3: Yeah, my family and I went to Martha's Vineyard in 2002 for a week's vacation on Martha's Vineyard, and we had a fabulous time, went sailing, went to these little islands off of Martha's Vineyard, which happened to be uh, military bombing sites, you know, back in the day. We went home to California, and a week later, my husband and I were sicker than we'd ever been before. And uh, we kept on that year, which I call the year of the lab rat. We kept on getting sicker and sicker every day that year, and we went to 10 doctors, and it took a year and $60,000 to get diagnosed with Lyme disease and another tick-borne disease called babesiosis. And that's when I realized that this Lyme disease problem was really big. Uh, It was a serious, serious disease. We had two middle school boys. We thought we'd leave them for orphans. We were so sick. So that's how I got interested in Lyme disease.
2: Well, and being from New England myself, I live in Rhode Island, and so Lyme disease is you know, talked about a lot out this way. And there's a lot of beliefs that yeah, it was actually uh, genetically created out this way and so forth. But, I mean, it's something that's, that's all over the place. And people in my family have been diagnosed with Lyme disease. Um, I mean, geez, endless people I know. And it's it's pretty bad. I mean, it gives you, besides all different Issues with joints and pains. I mean, you start dealing with with a fogginess, uh, just problem solving issues, and and just slower mental processing. And th- there's a lot of problems, correct?
3: Yeah, serious neurological problems. Like when my husband and I had it, I, I'd like to say it was like having chronic fatigue, early onset Alzheimer's, arthritis, and MS all together. Uh, serious, serious disease, yet mainstream medicine seems to dismiss the disease and say it's easy to diagnose, easy to treat, needs to be cured.
1: Now, you, I know you told us, but back me up. Uh, in the timeline of this disease and it becoming a little bit more uh, under understood or at least uh, acknowledged in, um, in, in pop culture or in uh, society, where in the timeline did you get Lyme disease? Was it early on or where was it?
3: Um, 2002. Okay. So, uh, the disease first appeared, uh, actually for my research, uh, in the, in the seventies, but I got it 82 and then it took a year to get diagnosed.
1: You, you got, you got, it. it
3: took, then it took five to six years for both of us to be cured.
1: So you, you, you were bitten by a tick in 2002 and that's when you got Lyme disease. Is that right?
3: Lyme disease and, uh, a cattle parasite called babesiosis, which is uh, sort of a malaria-like disease in that it infects the red blood cells. And it you took... get both, and it's a serious illness. It's hard to get over.
1: And you and your husband both got this? Yes. Did you both uh, suffer with it as long as you, as you
3: did? Yeah, we got symptoms a week after the vacation, after we returned from the vacation. We got sick on the same day. We had the same symptoms. Uh, yet, you know, at first we went to our primary care physician. She says, oh, you know, your blood looks, blood work looks normal. Mm-hmm. Um, we think it's a virus. Come back if you're still sick. Right. We got sicker the next week. We came back, you know, back over and over. Finally, she bumps us up to the infectious disease doctor, and the infectious disease doctor says, well, uh, you know, uh, it, it's a rare disease, all these doctors, the 10 doctors we saw that year, I said, I think it might be Lyme disease because Lyme disease is serious on Martha's Vineyard that year. And They said, no, 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 it's a rare disease. It's not that. We'll just give you some antibiotics and see if you get better. So we took antibiotics for a couple weeks, and we miraculously felt better, and then uh, the symptoms came back, and they, they said, well, it still can't be Lyme disease. So it just went on and on like that, and they, they shipped us to specialists, Finally, the infectious diseases doctor still refused to treat us for Lyme disease and said, "Well, I think it's a psychosomatic couples thing where oh man, you're a neglected housewife and you're oh, trying boy. to get attention from your husband <laughs> and he's having sympathy pains, you know." So they would they w- infectious disease doctors were giving us like psychiatric diagnoses when they could have just given us a Lyme test and we would have.
1: So, yeah. 10 doctors all this time, and no one just gave you the Lyme disease test?
3: No. No. <laughs>
1: I don't get Which it. Which
3: is, like, one of the things that, uh, you know, after I after being treated for about six months, I, I got my brain back, and I said, something is really wrong with this disease. I don't know what. And so then I teamed up with a really good filmmaker in Marin, and we started doing a Lyme disease expose on sort of the patient experience. And...
2: But- uh, well, let me ask this: Do you do you think that they were so uh, against the whole Lyme disease uh, concept because they were from, because you were dealing with them from the West Coast versus the East Coast?
3: Well, after doing the film, you know, for we filmed all over the U.S. for three and a half years. I think the ignorance is pretty widespread. Mm. Certainly, it was worse uh, in California. Like, still, I. Talk to doctors here in California, they never heard of babesiosis, whereas, you know, on the East Coast, it's a pretty common, serious disease, tick-borne disease that they know about.
1: Okay. So, yes, but that's a great point, Jay. I mean, um, but I I also know that even being here on the East Coast, I've had friends and family, as you have, that have ultimately been diagnosed with Lyme disease, but, but there seems to be a real reluctance to test for it. Is that because the test itself is not effective or accurate? Uh, or is it just uh, an apprehension from the medical community to recognize this as a serious threat?
3: Um, it's sort of. I, I just read an editorial about it. It's sort of a, comp, a weird, complex set of confluences. When um, when Lyme disease was discovered, and or and they discovered the causative agent, the bacterium, in eighty two, um, they realized that the cure was cheap antibiotics. Like if you if you treat it right away with two weeks of doxycycline, it's pretty much cleared up and you never have to worry about it. That was the year that the rules in um, research changed so that academic medical researchers could team up with big pharma and become business partners and make money off their discoveries. So the money for Lyme disease wasn't in the cure, which is cheap antibiotics. It was like, oh, we can make more money on the vaccine. So... The vaccine, you would uh. be marketing the vaccine to people who are afraid of the disease rather than the people who actually have it. And the particular vaccine that made it to market had to have three shots per year. So that was pretty much a cash cow for both the researchers and Pharma.
1: Right. The book we're talking about tonight is called Bitten, The Secret History of Lyme Disease and Biological Weapons. We're talking with the author of that book, Chris Newby. Chris is spelled with a K, and you can uh, get more information about all of her work at the website chrisnewby.com. Chris, we're talking about... Um, the difficulty I guess in getting a diagnosis when someone comes down with Lyme disease, but let's talk about the source of the disease itself. We all know ticks are involved, but give us the, the lowdown as to how someone actually contracts Lyme disease.
3: So uh, a tick bites you, it drills through your skin with, with its mouth parts and it digs a little hole and then, um, it taps into a vein, the blood pools in there It sucks it into it. Um, The saliva of the tick suppresses your immune system for a week or more. So whatever germs are harbored inside the tick belly uh, go into your bloodstream, and they sort of have a head start on your immune system. And you know there there are twenty sort of well known germs that cause human disease in ticks, and you can get any number of combinations. Uh, Lyme disease is one, but there are more deadly diseases than that. The the disease I got, babesiosis, the cattle parasite, that can kill you if you have a, a missing or damaged spleen. Um, there's another one, um, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, which is caused by a tiny little bacterium called a rickettsia that goes inside of your cells and it acts like a virus, and then it multiplies inside your cells and explodes the cells, and you sort of have a massive inflammation bleed out in your veins. Uh, so, anyways, there are many, and there's viruses too. So uh, tick diseases can be dangerous, and CDC announced this year they're becoming uh, more and more of a problem. New germs inside of ticks have been identified. The reported cases are increasing. In 2017, there were 42,000 cases in the U.S. announced, and they said it could be that there's actually 10 times that many, so that would be 4,000 cases, 400,000 cases, which would be about over a thousand a day on average Wow. new tick species and the government doesn't really understand or they say they don't understand why these diseases and these new ticks are expanding their ranges and causing more disease
2: well and the Rocky Mountain fever one's terrifying I just spent time in Mexico and there was a bunch of big warnings down there about I guess Rocky Mountain fever is uh, is a problem down there with the ticks and uh, but and that that can be pretty fatal, pretty quick, can't it?
3: Yeah, like you can be in a coma in fourteen days with wow. spotted fever.
2: So
1: one one thing that I learned as I was preparing for this discussion, and I don't think I really gave it any thought because I was writing some questions out for you, and I was going to say something about um, this all started from an insect bite, but I learned that ticks aren't even insects; they're arachnids. They're related to spiders.
3: Right, they're eight legged.
1: Yeah, and that's and I noticed that when I when I looked at a picture and I counted the legs, I'm like, this these these are not even insects. Um, so they're part of the spider family. And one of the things that has been talked about pretty significantly is not just the increase in the diseases that are being borne by ticks, but it's actually the increase in the number of ticks themselves. What's happening there?
3: Well, uh, so there's the official story, which is climate change. Uh, you know, is allowing the ticks. They're not being freezed out in the winter, and it's lading, allowing their ranges to expand. Um, there's an increase in the deer population, and and uh, deers are sort of like Motel 8 for <laughs> uh, ticks having sex and breeding, So, and that that's a good way of overwintering, because deers are warm. Um, but then there's the alternative history, which I accidentally ran across uh which, uh, you know, I received a videotape from a filmmaker friend in Travis City, Michigan, who sent me a tape of Willie Bergdorfer, who's the gentleman who discovered the Lyme bacterium um, in 82, and it the tape had him saying that he believes that the outbreak of multiple tick-borne diseases in the Lyme, Connecticut area, which includes Long Island, Martha's Vineyard, where I was, uh, New Jersey, Rhode Island, etc. That was caused by a biological weapons outbreak, which was completely shocking to me at the time. I had finished the Lyme documentary, and uh, so that sort of started the book "Bitten." That's that was the genesis of that.
2: Well, and that's something we hear a lot being here in Rhode Island. You you hear about supposedly uh, facilities on Block Island and a uh, Plum Island and all that, where they were working on. Um, Well, they they were working on just this bio, um, this bio-warfare type stuff.
3: Yeah, and, you know, uh, Willie Bergdorfer was such a celebrated scientist, you know, because of this discovery, but he was our foremost authority on ticks at that time in the United States, and so he had a lot of credibility, so for him to say that, you know, it was worth an inquiry, so that started my journey, a five-year journey. Into really is Willie asking the question? Is Willie really telling the truth? And that's when I accidentally came across some of his files that had he hadn't submitted to the National Archives that included the fact that he had worked for uh, a decade or more on the in the biological weapons program in the United States, and he had weaponized fleas, ticks, and mosquitoes. Uh, for use on enemies. <laughs> so really? that's Yeah. So it was an amazing journey down the rabbit hole on sort of a dirty secret about our biological weapons program that a lot of people don't want to hear. But, you know, it's the truth. And it's an explanation for, like, why in the 70s all of a sudden three brand-new tick-borne diseases appeared around Long Island Sound, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York. So why did they suddenly appear and start killing people? And uh, so that's part of the story is the secret history of what happened before 82 that maybe the government doesn't want you to hear.
2: Well, so do you buy, as a kid, initially I grew up in upstate New York. Now, I we would run through the woods. We'd play in the woods all the time. I never had a tick on me. And uh, and we were always told that it's pretty much, especially when I moved to Rhode Island and they were everywhere, that you didn't have them in upstate New York because of how bad the winters got. So do you believe that, that that's true, that the, you know, the, the weather up there actually held off the tick population, or do you think that there was something more?
3: Well, I, I, was, I grew up mostly in my formative years in Virginia. Same thing. I spent a lot of time in the woods, uh, never remember a tick bite but something happened in the 70s, you know, and there's been sort of a lack of curiosity as to why the ticks increased, why the diseases that they they carried seemed to become more virulent, causing these weird, freaky symptoms, killing people as far as spotted fever around Long Island. So, uh, you know, my, my point of view after sort of researching the whole biological weapons program is that it I agree with Willie, the discoverer of Lyme disease, that there seems to have been some unnatural occurrence, you know, in the late 60s that all of a sudden we noticed in the 70s um, that caused this freaky, weird set of dangerous diseases. And sort of if you look at the playbook that the CDC uses when they're trying to see is there a natural or an unnatural epidemic, there are five clues that they look for. You know, first they see a highly unusual event with large numbers of casualties. That would be the mid-70s set of spotted fever deaths that happened on Long Island that raised the alarms for the CDC. And there's uh, uncommon disease. That would be the three freaky tick-borne diseases that showed up in the 70s, and that would be babesiosis, that cattle parasite, the... A uh, second case in the U.S. showed up around 1968, the fifth in the world, very unusual. There's a spotted fever that showed up that was killing people that didn't, couldn't be detected by the normal tests used for spotted fever, and sometimes it, it caused serious illness, but there were no spots on the people. And then there's what we call the Lyme disease bacterium, which caused swollen joints um, it's a spirochete, which is very similar to syphilis. So those three things showed up late 60s and at a point source, you know, around Long Island, Plum Island, Lyme, Connecticut, and it's been spreading out and out. So if you were in upstate New York, you know, that outer ring of the spread of the disease, you may have missed it, you know, when you, before you moved away.
1: Chris, is Willie Bergdorfer still alive?
3: No, he died in 2014. I got to interview him a few times before he died.
1: That was going to be my next question. When you spoke with him, did you get a sense from him that he was anxious to reveal some truths, or was he more reserved and look uh, acting as though he needed to keep some secrets?
3: He was cagey. I first interviewed him in 2007 when I, I was with Andy Wilson, and we were filming him for the documentary in Hamilton, Montana. He worked at this... Um, Lab, the Rocky Mountain National Lab, and so you know we showed up for that interview. Uh, we had had a lot of trouble getting anyone from the government to go on camera on Lyme disease because it was just so controversial. But he was retired, so he agreed. And so we got there. We set up the lights and camera for about an hour, and there was a pounding on the door. And someone from the lab said, I, "I'd like to sit on in on this interview." And the director said, "No," <laughs> you know, and it was a very tense moment because uh, we just didn't know. We just wanted to ask Willie about Lyme disease. We didn't know why it was... Someone would, from the lab would have to sit on it. So we interviewed Willie. It went really well, but he said some things that were not politically correct uh, in the conventional mainstream medicine. He said, uh, yeah, the NIH knows Lyme disease can be chronic, chronically disabling. It can be, um, It can be dormant for a while and then revive itself, Five, 10, 15 years later he says it's particularly damaging to the developing neurological systems of children and that all that is like not accepted you know, wisdom published. So that was shocking and then we turned off the camera and then he said with a little wry smile I didn't tell you everything. Ooh. So 2007, that was the first uh, indication that we knew something was up. Then um I went and interviewed him again. Then I received the videotape where he was confessing. He said, I think the outbreak was unnatural. might have been caused by a biological weapons uh, release. And then uh, that was in the summer of 2013. And then December of 2013, I went and talked to him. And that's where he admitted, yeah, I was in the biological weapons program. I did a lot of things that the Nazis did. He said, this is all on videotape. He said, you know, they asked me to try and get ticks." to reproduce faster, you know, quantities so they could be dropped on enemies, I suppose. And then he said, I um, tried to figure out how to put plague in fleas so that could be weaponized. And he said he weaponized this other virus called Colorado tick fever virus. Wow. So it was shocking. It was yeah. shocking. But, you know, I that was the beginning of my investigation. And in the book, I try to put together the whole story about the experiments that he did and how it, Related to the overall strategy of the Pentagon at the time.
1: Our guest tonight, Chris Newby, we're talking about her book called Bitten, The Secret History of Lyme Disease and Biological Weapons. Chris, a bit of a short segment here, but I want to go back to the discussion about Willie Bergdorfer. Um, When you were uh, gathering this information, he was giving you stories on and off the record. Were you able to corroborate, corroborate any of that with independent information after the fact in our files, archives, anywhere else?
3: Um, yeah, so I I had early access to Willie's personal lab notes and letters. Um, I searched in about a dozen Cold War archives. I actually found uh, a witness uh, who was part of the CIA black ops program, the company uh, during the Bay of Pigs crisis, and he said he had done a really a lot of really horrible things, especially during the Vietnam War and. Uh, and he said, the weirdest thing I ever did was I dropped two boxes of poison ticks on the Cuban sugar cane workers. Wow. And that was a single-source story, and I wasn't going to put it in the book. But then the Kennedy assassination files were released in 2017, and I found written corroboration that jived with the dates that he said he dropped the ticks.
1: Wow. So, I mean, that, that's I explosive that. stuff.
3: Yeah, I know. And it's, it's interesting that it's been ignored by mainstream media. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, you know, there's just a lot of interesting revelations in the book, like the Army funded a study to release radioactive Lone Star ticks in Virginia and Montana, and the Lone Star ticks are the really aggressive, man-biting ticks that cause the meat allergy that you've been hearing about in the news, and they carry spotted fever, and they've been taking over the native populations of ticks you know, around uh, Long Island Sound in New England. And now they've reached Maine and they're about to crawl into Canada.
1: You had mentioned that when you were about to interview Willie for the first time that you said getting someone from the government to speak about this was uh, difficult or impossible because it's so controversial. Is the controversy because people are blaming the government or is the controversy because the government has something to hide?
0: Well,
3: um... So, Andy, the director, and I, we always felt like the government was hiding something because in every other disease, the researchers go, hey, my disease is really uh, uh, the most important disease. Please give us money. But right. in Lyme disease, they were saying, oh, we understand Lyme. We know it's easy to diagnose, cure, and treat. Go away. You know, and And the research has been really controlled by about a dozen researchers sort of in the eastern seaboard. And in the film, I sort of like track them and know how they behave. So that, that was really weird. So in a way, the bioweapons um, angle explains why they might not be forthright in it. Uh, you know, to complicate it is that um, the, the test for Lyme disease is really unreliable. It doesn't work in the first month at all. I mean, everybody admits that. And, um, and then once you wait a couple months it's hard to cure Lyme disease, especially if you combine it with other germ, other tick-borne germs that you might get during that bite.
1: We, do you have something, Jane? No, no, I was lost. We have, um, we've got a, a little less than a minute here before we have to go to break. And when we get on the other side of the break, we're going to talk more about this. But this is a good opportunity for you to tell people where they can get a
3: hold of the book. Um, it's available through uh, HarperCollins website, Amazon, um, Barnes and Noble. It's available audiobook, um, or Kindle, or a CD, or just old-fashioned
1: books. I you know you made a really good point. Um, growing up in Canada, I grew up in upstate New York. I grew up in Oneonta in upstate New York. We used to play in the woods. We used to play in the fields. We used to run all over the place outside all hours of day night, and night. Never one time. Never. Had I never knew what they were until didn't, I came to Rhode Island. Didn't even have. Didn't even think about them. Oh. Um, I don't know that that means they didn't exist or they just weren't on our radar or what, but I know I never had one on me, at least that I was aware of. Uh, but now you go out in your backyard and you got to check yourself. I mean, yep. you got to look and you got to check your dogs and your cats and whatever it happens to be. And, and they're very Very common. So something has certainly changed. That's what we're talking about tonight. Um, Not just the tick population, but actually the diseases that are born by ticks. And are they biological or were they intended to be biological weapons? Our guest tonight, Chris Newby, is the author of a book called Bitten, The Secret History of Lyme Disease and Biological Weapons. I think everybody out there
2: needs to go and buy a bunch of those guinea fowls. They eat the things, right? Don't they? Yeah, I was in Tennessee, and a guy had like twenty of them on his property. Tall grass and everything else. We walked through, and never had a tick on us. There I we mean, go. He said he said he hadn't seen ticks in years since he had the guineas. <laughs> and those are those weird looking turkey chicken type things that are. <laughs> And they're just, a, they're not a pretty bird, but <laughs> they I mean, they, they eat the ticks. Um, before we bring uh, our guests back in, just taking a, he- a look
1: ahead uh, to see what we've got coming up on the program here tomorrow night. Uh, Douglas Siriano will be with us. He's the author of American Conspiracies and Cover-Ups. Kind of sounds like we're talking about one of those tonight. And he'll show how conspiracies have been transforming U.S. politics for at least the last
2: century. century. If you haven't yet, make sure you head to Facebook.com slash Beyond Reality Radio. Like that Facebook uh, page for us. Then head to beyondrealityradio.com. You can find all the stations we are in across the country. That list is constantly being updated. You can also download the free smartphone apps, which allow you to listen live, catch past shows, join the online chat, and more. And if you do download the show, uh, just take two seconds of your time and uh, rate it for us on iTunes, because it really helps push, push the show forward and makes it easier to find, and that's what it's all about. Our guest is
1: Chris Newby. Her website is her name, and Chris is spelled with a K, chrisnewby.com. Again, the book is called Bitten, The Secret History of Lyme Disease and Biological Weapons. Chris, is Lyme disease at an epidemic proportion now?
3: Um, yes, it has. It's gone steadily up since it was first identified in the 80s. And uh, uh, I don't know if it's the official um, uh, definition of epidemic, but the the CDC has said, acknowledge this year it's a huge problem and we need to deal with it and we don't know the exact reasons it's spreading and new diseases are appearing
1: so Uh, so. in, in your work and in your research um if the government is responsible is it responsible at the level that it actually created this or these diseases or it created the mechanism by which they're being spread
3: um unclear um they are. They, when my book came out in mid-May, they were surprisingly quiet about it. There was no emphatic denial. They just were mm-hmm. uh, silent. And then uh, the congressman Chris Smith from New Jersey read the book, and he was moved by it because New Jersey is like in the epicenter of some of the worst tick-borne diseases. And he waved it up on C-SPAN and said this is a credible book, I think we need to investigate it. So he created an amendment that was buried, is buried in, right now inside the Defense Appropriations uh, Bill, and it calls for an independent investigation of how the Department of Defense used ticks and insects as biological weapons between 1950 and 1975. And as you know, 1975 is when sort of we noticed this weird epidemic
2: but do you think, honestly, even if they did, that it would ever come out? I mean, just for the fact that they they would open themselves up to some serious legal issues from the public out there, people who've who've dealt with these issues and and so forth since since this has become such an epidemic.
3: Uh, that is the big question. I think. Uh, I mean, I some of these documents have been declassified, and I've gathered them from various. And it's sort of like putting a 100,000-piece jigsaw puzzle together. And, you know, it looks like, I mean, I, I know for sure we, the government weaponized ticks. I mean, I have absolute documents saying we did that. After a while, the government decided, well, it's a little hard, I would say, um, mid-'60s. They said, well, it's a little hard to control the ticks and the diseases within them and then put them into munitions, munitions bombs, and have them live. So then they moved to just using germs, including tick-borne germs, and mass-producing them in flasks or vats so that they could be freeze-dried, powderized, sort of like powderized anthrax, and sprayed over towns from planes, trains, automobiles, ships. So um, those experiments are well-documented. Um, so. The things that I hope the investigation reveals is if we believe, Willie, that there was a biological weapons accident around Long Island Sound, Connecticut, uh, I want them to release where and when the, that accident happened, because there will be some paperwork filed in triplicate somewhere, and, you know, I've been trying for five years to use Freedom Information Acts, and I haven't been able to get them, those documents.
1: I mean, that's the recipe for a major lawsuit, obviously, among many other concerns. What did Willie say about that accident? Did he give you details?
3: Mm, uh, sketchy. I mean, he was cagey, so I'm not 100% sure. He may have felt loyalty. Maybe he didn't want... He knew he was dying when he talked to me. He was 11 months away from dying, so mm. he gave me little breadcrumbs. Um, he was hoping I would put the pieces together. Um but, uh, you know, he said, I, he said, the thing I was worried about was this mystery rickettsial. It's like a spotted fever that didn't show up on any of the tests. And he was called in mid-70s to investigate that. And people were dying. There were body bags. So the military was concerned. Willie was concerned. And he f- discovered that it tested positive for this other similar rickettsia in Europe and for unknown reasons. He called that Swiss agent. He claimed discovery for that Swiss agent in Europe, but not around Long Island Sound. All of a sudden, in seven seventy nine eighty, 80, all mention of that mystery, Rickettsial, disappeared. And all of a sudden, they blamed, a year later, they blamed everything on the Spire spirochete. So it's a bit of a mystery there. So his, the thing he told other people are accidents happened. And he was, you know, experiments go wrong, accidents happen. And he he was referring to something that happened around Long Island Sound. So that's all I have. And obviously the government would want to deep six, that kind of information. And so that's, you know, what I've been desperately trying to find out the last five years is where and when on that accident. We know they weaponized ticks. We know they sprayed live germs from airplanes. But what happened around Long Island? Because you're right, it would be, you know, it's like, The settlement that just happened with the Tuskegee experiments, Agent Orange, the LSD experiments, it was the same sort of CIA embedded group in the chemical warfare, chemical biological warfare program that did that, that did these experiments.
2: Well now I know that a team of researchers at Yale had uh, put this thing out there claiming that Lyme disease bacterium had been around North America for over 60,000 years. Was there any truth to that in your research?
3: Well, the thing Willie said is he didn't blame – he didn't say that the Lyme bacterium was the biological weapon. He was implying that that was a misdirection from the real germ, which is the spotted fever rickettsial. I mean, that's what he was saying. At that time, they were genetically engineering it. He said they were mixing it with viruses to make it more virulent. And uh, Jack Anderson, the sort of father of Washington, D.C., investigator reporting, said – um, our scientists, is around the 60s, our scientists haven't been asleep at the wheel. They've developed hybrid rickettsial virus organisms for which there is no treatment or cure. So they were working on those genetic franken germs then, and that's what Willie seemed to be telling me got out around Long Island Sound, Lyme, Connecticut. So, so it's sort of a, you know, Back in eighty two, they were using the Lyme bacterium as the misdirection, and they're sort of doing it now, saying, "Oh no, the, you know, this book is, is bogus. The Lyme bacterium isn't biological weapon, and and the whole book, the three hundred and fifty pages, say, yeah, it's not.
4: It's the other thing."
1: Let's um, let's jump to our listener line. This is Stephen in New Jersey. Hey, Stephen, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio.
4: Thank you. I really enjoy your guest, and uh, have a question. Great. Uh, Plum Island, which uh, up until recently was one of the premier uh, institutions for uh, diseases such as Lyme disease, and in fact, um, prior to Lyme disease uh, being, uh, uh, I guess, uh, exposed or initiated uh, in the Long Island Sound region, uh, it was contained on Plum Island, which is of course, uh, off of Orient Point in uh, New York State on Long, off of Long Island. What does uh, what is your coverage and your investigation show the, the nexus and the connection uh, to Plum Island and potentially, obviously not an intentional release, but more likely an accidental release uh, from uh, the... Uh, Infectious disease, animal disease, uh, installation on Plum Island.
3: Well, Plum Island was the site uh, during the Cold War of anti-animal bioweapons research, and mostly they did hoof and mouth disease, uh, uh, duck plague, etc. Um, they didn't necessarily work on the Lyme bacterium that I was able to find out. But they did have a, a tick hatchery and they raised hundreds of thousands of ticks. And certainly Plum Island has a history of having accidental releases of various ticks or various things. I don't know I don't know about ticks. When I questioned Willie about Plum Island, he didn't seem to imply that was the problem. He was more obsessed with the Ricketzel that he discovered in Pretty much all the Lyme blood samples of from humans that he tested, and he felt like that was could be the cause of what we call Lyme disease now. But now is um, is the tag, the label for the the bi- bacteria that causes what we think of as Lyme disease now. So, anyways, w- Willie did not light up when I asked about Plum Island, so it seems like it was a different accident to me. But again, that's why to call for the the um, congressional
1: investigation, I think. Uh, to thanks, find out. Yeah, thanks for the great question, Stephen. We appreciate that. Anne from Colorado. Welcome to Beyond Reality Radio.
3: Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm wondering if Chris has any knowledge about kids who were born with Lyme um, and have been treated aggressively, seem to be uh, living a normal life. If there's any Outstanding issues to be aware of as they get older, Um, as since I didn't know I was carrying it when I was pregnant, and so I'd had it for quite a while, and I've continued to have continuous autoimmune diseases, um, but I'm in a fairly decent remission compared to how I was in the beginning, so I'm just concerned about my son. I've heard a lot of cases like that where it's passed from the mother through the placenta, and there have been a a few research studies on that uh, showing that it's a real danger. Um, I know there's uh, a conference, I I went to one of them talking, you know, dealing with um, kids who have been born with congenital Lyme. So I would go to the website. Lymedisease.org, and send an email to them, and they could connect you with the groups where you can get help on that. Okay, great. Okay. Yeah, Lymedisease.org is the best sort of patient-focused website. They're just so helpful on how to get insurance reimbursement and uh, surveys on patients sort of gathering research through crowdsourcing.
1: Hopefully that'll help you, and Thank you for the phone call. Let's try to grab one more here. Kathy from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Kathy, welcome to the program.
0: Thank you very much. Um, I would like to ask, um, does she think that um, Bell's palsy is a result of Lyme disease? Because they have no reason for it. They, they never told me. I heard once that it was Lyme disease. That causes bowel palsy mm, what you th- where your one side of your face freezes
1: yeah what do you what do you think about that Chris bell's palsy
3: um it is in in all the medical literature, Bell's palsy is a sign that you might have Lyme disease, and they recommend you get tested for it. I mean you can also have a stroke and have one side of your face go limp, but uh, definitely that can be a symptom. Of Lyme disease. Kathy, I'm, assume,
1: I'm assuming you have been diagnosed with that or have that uh, complication. Have you been diagnosed with Lyme disease?
0: No, um, but um, I do have a problem with the one side of my face. I was tested, but like she said, tests, tests that are positive or negative, and negative tests are really positive. Yeah, so they're, they're not perhaps reliable. It was in the test.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for the phone call. Hopefully you can get some resolution for that. Chris, we have about 40 seconds here before we go to break. Uh, Has the testing become any more reliable?
3: Uh, No, it hasn't. It's really sort of been frozen in time for political reasons, really. Uh, There are some really good tests in the labs right now that are trying to get approval. So, you know, I think once we have a reliable test, uh, a lot of the controversy will go away but it's very frustrating for the patients right now
2: yeah i believe it
1: let's quickly jump to our phone lines here we've had some people being very very patient this is fred from charlotte north carolina fred welcome to the program well, it was great great to have you on
5: hey jv we got j square tonight jason too
2: yes yes i'm here it's good to uh, be back
5: well uh I don't want to sound like I know it all, but I think I know more about Lyme disease than just about anybody. I'm real glad she documented the great failure of the medical community. There was a woman quite a few years, oh, I don't know, 8 or 12 years ago that wrote a book who was pregnant and asked about her child since she had Lyme disease, and the doctors assured her the child would not get it. And, of course, when the child was born, it was born with Lyme disease and suffered terrible six years before it died. Um oh, the uh, Long Island, what happened there? There is there is um, uh, there's laws in this country. You can dig it out. Uh, a friend of mine has dug th- dug this out. I'm not exactly sure. The I think it's 25 and 40 years. If if you do a biological experiment in the military after 25 years, and she's right, there is a thing in the defense budget. But uh, you have they release it after 25 years unless we have a partner like uh, England or Germany, a foreign country, then it's 40 years you get to keep it secret. But what they did is they radiated, like she said, all those ticks. They radiated all these ticks with Lyme disease, and they take them out on Long Island, and they release them in three different counties. I mean, who needs enemies when we got friends in the government like this? Uh, and then they go back in a few years and track them with the radioactivity to try to see how they're spreading and so forth. Um Suffolk County, which is out there, just released uh, a three-year study five weeks ago. If you Google Lyme disease, Suffolk County, you'll see it. Uh, They've collected all different ticks. They've documented eight diseases. They have one gentleman who uh, had no appetite, couldn't eat, fatigue. took him to the hospital. He had that malaria-like disease that Chris is talking about. Um, So... (laughs) <laughs> that that's another aspect that just came out. And they got the worst outbreak in 20 years, by the way. Um, they saw the not, first
3: case in they, Maine this year of, of babesiosis.
5: And also, uh, Chris, I think that it's not just deer. I think that another motel is uh, horses. And I know that. I think I'm pretty sure of that. And that's one reason it's spreading, because these, these horse people will take horse trailers from Connecticut and all and come down here to where I am in in the middle middle of the uh, seaboard down here in North Carolina, and and the, they'll bring them from New Orleans and Mississippi and Florida, and the ticks will jump from one horse to another horse, and before the, you know it, they're they're in Michigan and everywhere. Uh, I think it's a whole lot more prevalent, and, and the you know the doctors, or the medical community has just been a disaster on this thing. And one thing I think the the insurance companies, besides what you're talking about about the vaccines, the insurance companies they don't really want to treat it. And if you catch it early, yes, And anybody can knock it out. They don't all have the circular red bullseye rash. But if if you've had it for a year or whatever, and then you try antibiotics, in my opinion, it makes it worse like taking a newspaper, rolling it up and trying to kill a, a hornet on a hornet's nest. That's not a good idea. Um, but... Um, I I went from 180 pounds to 105 pounds. I was in bed four years in a lot of pain. Doctors, wow. after three years, I knew the doctors knew, didn't know what the heck I, was going on with me. This was many years ago, and uh, they had no idea what was going on. And I knew I probably didn't have cancer because I was still alive after three years. Uh, there so there I had is a lot of denialism uh,
3: about the disease. So uh, that's what I, I really am enjoying about the book is that it's reviving the discussion on it uh you know to make doctors more aware that it's there's so many people now everybody knows somebody with lyme disease now seems like
5: it's and what you're doing is such a great service because it's just it's just devastating the country and 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 people they and and you've had it so you know how you feel and yeah, they all—they were telling me, you know, you need to go to a psychiatrist. Well, I knew wow. better than that. I mean, uh, because you know, if if a di- if it's not a something they've learned in med school like a broken arm, then gee, it must be some something for a psychiatrist. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the uh, there's a whole lot of other things here. There's uh, it affects the nervous system often. I think there's six in the in the neck and head and. One guy I know, his son down here was surveying uh, three or four years ago and got bitten by a tick, and he he started falling asleep senior year in college, on, in class, and he got, he got a terrible tick where his head would jerk over to his shoulder about every two minutes. And uh, he had Lyme disease, and the stuff I used to help turn me around, uh, I told him to uh, look at, and it completely cleared him up. Uh, but then he went to Europe during the summer for six weeks. Uh, at one point, and didn't take it with him, and tick started coming back just a little bit. And I scolded him, and said, "Look, you got to. It's uh, just under the surface. You got to keep going with it." Um, but it, it's really scary what what they've done in the name of you know military and so forth. And, and I mean, like I say, who needs enemies when, when they're, they're they're ruining our lives? right here in our own country with with our so-called friends.
1: Yeah, that's a gr- that's a great point Fred. Hey, thank you so much for the phone call. Always love your questions and your comments. But I did want to ask a question Chris that kind of twists this idea around. We've we've talked a lot about it being a militarized uh, bug. A militarized um, disease. Is it possible it's not. It's less militarized and more political in nature? And, you know, I might uh, open a can of worms here, uh, but could it be that by um, ma- making people notice the explosion in the tick population because of this disease that they can draw more attention to, say, a climate change agenda or something along those lines? And maybe there's a political component to this?
3: Well, I would say the epidemic is really multifactorial and complex. So it, you, it, c- climate change, human growth, the spread of humans into forested regions, uh, they're all factors. But it still doesn't explain why, you know, when you and I grew up, there weren't as many ticks. Right. And there weren't diseases that were virulent it's because um, we had balance in nature, the ticks and the germs that were specialized for those ticks, you know, the the native population was sort of used to them, but just like when you introduce a new germ into a new region, so let's say the missionaries who went to Hawaii brought chicken pox, it wiped out a bunch of the, the natives on Hawaii, you know, because it was a new germ in a new area, and I think that's what we're seeing. There were, you know, Starting in '68, there were two outbreaks of these freaky tick-borne diseases. There was Long Island Sound, and there was also Northern Wisconsin, Minnesota area near the Great Lakes. And so, no one has really seriously looked into why. And so, you know, my book is one theory, and um, I've gone as far as I can as long as the government is keeping those documents uh, conf- confidential. But Scientists now have enough data on this outbreak to look at it from a different point of view, which is genomics. You know, they can find out. I I call it the Who's Your Daddy project. They can take these freaky tick-borne diseases and tell their ancestry, just like you can go on 23andMe and tell where your ancestors ancestors came from. We can do that with the tick-borne diseases. And to know that will um, help treat the sick humans and dogs and horses that have those diseases now.
1: Now, I know there's um, uh, a vaccination for horses and probably other animals, um, but there isn't quite the same approach for humans, is there?
3: Um, There was a vaccine that went on the market in the 90s, and it was pulled. Um, There's some some differences of opinions on why it was pulled, um, and you can read about that online. And now there is another vaccine that's in the works um, Hmm. in France.
1: And of course, that all goes to another completely uh, controversial topic when we start talking about vaccinations altogether, doesn't it?
3: Right. and then, But my point of view in the book is if the biological weapon is not the Lyme disease bacterium, it's this other right. spotted fever germ, then why do we need a Lyme vaccine? Right. I mean, the conclusion I come to in the book is that um, there's been an obsession over Lyme disease when that really isn't the most serious disease. What's what the real problem is when you have mixed infections with Lyme disease and the other germs we talked about
2: so I guess that are w- transmitted in the bite but what's the next step where do we go from here
3: well it's it's sort of like a, a wildfire that started from a campfire and it would have been easy to control in the beginning but now it's spread up to Maine into the Carolinas who knows how far west it's gone and then there are the other sources May or may not have been human caused, you know the one in Wisconsin, there's a different kind of Lyme bacterium.'s got a different name, but it's similar in California. So it's got to be a multi-front war at this point. There has to be prevention by humans, you know, the guinea hens, uh, sprays. There has to be sort of better surveys. So we are epidemiologists, the people that study the spread of diseases know what diseases are where so they can treat and test humans promptly, um, and there has to be, like, new education in the the front lines of the, the medical services, like your primary care physicians who are woefully ignorant of all the diseases that can be spread by ticks, so they can better, more promptly identify what diseases people have and treat them, because the one thing that's not controversial is if you get a tick-borne disease and you treat it right away, chances are You'll go on with your life, and there will be no problems down the road. So we need to treat people before they become chronically ill.
1: I have a couple of um, kind of yes or no questions I want to throw at you Um, just quick. Mm -hmm. Are you convinced that uh, we're looking at uh, a biological weapon here? Um,
3: I, I think that we weaponize ticks and some of the diseases within them, so I know that, like, with almost 100% certainty. I don't know if the Lyme, Connecticut outbreak is man-made, but I, I give it a high probability, in my opinion, based on my five years of research.
1: And I have to assume, um, but just to get the straight answer here, if it's if it's weaponized, then it the federal government, the U.S. government, is responsible for that weaponization? Yes. And are you convinced that they're aware of this, they are aware of what's happening, and they are intentionally either avoiding or trying to ignore this issue entirely?
3: I don't have 100% proof that there's a cover-up. I, uh, Based on my research during the, the documentary, that was about five years of work, and then the book, Five Years of Work. I, I think their behavior... Uh, points to a possible cover-up, but I don't have absolute proof on that.
2: Well, even even beyond that, I mean, the fact is, if they created it, they seem to have just let it run its course and not really focused on resolving it.
3: Yeah, the way they've treated this disease seems to be very different than, say, AIDS or West Nile virus, uh, Zika, Ebola, you know, yeah. they are turning a cheek to it. And it's also interesting that, you know, in the the Cold War history, they came forward with the fact, this is public before my book, that they weaponized fleas and mosquitoes, but they've never mentioned the tick weaponization, which the book presents, you know,
1: evidence on that. I think you answered this question already, but I want to ask it again. Uh, Your book has already been published, and I think you said that your work is done unless unless, and until more documentation is released. Have you, um, have you settled on that, or are you still looking for more answers?
3: I'm still looking on for more answers. Um, I have spe- many Freedom of Information Act requests that are still in the works. Uh, they seem to be taking years to fulfill those. I have hope that the congressional inquiry will turn up some things. And, you know, the benefit to it is... Um, the sooner we get this information, the more we can start dealing with these serious chronic diseases that people have that are tick-borne. Um, you know, it's just to me, it's very urgent. I've, I've had the unique view, especially with the documentary, of interviewing you know hundreds and hundreds of people that are suffering families are being torn apart causes divorces people go bankrupt I mean there was one family that said oh we sold the whole family has Lyme disease we just sold our last couch so we can afford another month of antibiotics it's just like in in this world why why are we letting this happen you know if you get cancer you get the red carpet rolled out for you at the hospital and your insurance covers it all but in our current system You're given four weeks of doxycycline for Lyme disease, and if the symptoms come back, they said, see you later. Nope.
1: (laughs) Yeah, something isn't right here. Um, Chris, we're out of time. Once again, let people know where they can get a hold of your book.
3: So it's uh, available pretty much at any bookstore, Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, from the HarperCollins website, um, in all forms, audio or print.
2: Well, Chris, thanks so much for coming and hanging out with us tonight. It's been such a pleasure. Terrifying, but a pleasure. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again at some point.
3: Yeah, thanks very much for inviting me, talking about my favorite
2: diseases.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Something a little bit uh, peculiar about that, but we'll take it. You know, you had to go and say it before the break there. You had to go and say, now that we had this discussion, you feel things crawling all over you. You I'm starting to feel them, too. Actually, yeah,
2: I I do. I don't know, especially now that you guys... Filled me in on that ticks are part of the spider family. That's even more creepier for that me. That really
1: makes ticks even even lower or higher just, on my I, list, whichever I just, way. You I go.
2: can't look at a tick and wonder why they were ever created in the first yeah, place. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean it's I don't know. It's I can see mosquitoes. Okay, they feed bats, whatever. But ticks, why, why are well, they there? Ticks feed guinea hens or whatever the heck you said. to yeah, but it. I mean it's I don't know. It makes no sense to me.
1: Well, it was a great conversation with Chris. Kind of like a platypus. Yeah, I think
2: God was honestly stoned.
1: <laughs> uh, thanks again to Chris Newby for being with us. Her book, again, is called Bitten, the Secret History of Lyme Disease and Biological Weapons. You can find it in all the places that she mentioned there. Uh, what do we have coming up here on the show? We're going to take a look. Tomorrow oh, night we've got Douglas uh, uh He's talking about his book called American Conspiracies and Cover-Ups. And Which he sh- probably would fall into the tick category.
2: It really, seems to, yeah, it really <laughs> seems
1: to be. Yeah, it really seems to be. That would probably be one of the ones he chats about. Um, he's going to talk about how these conspiracies have been transforming U.S. politics for the last century.
2: Great. Awesome. Hey, if you haven't yet, make sure you head over to facebook.com slash beyondrealityradio. Like the Facebook page for us. Then head to beyondrealityradio.com. You can find all the stations we are in across the country that list is constantly being updated so check it often. You can also download the free smartphone apps for iPhone and Android which allow you to listen live, catch past shows, join the online chat and more. And uh and, and also just if you download the show or you'll just do us a favor, take 2 seconds of your time and rate it for us. It really helps uh, get it out there and uh, you know, pushes it forward and makes it easier for people to find. It really helps us out. And we know a lot of people are downloading it, we greatly appreciate that. It's being downloaded tens of thousands of times a day, and uh, and the show's a su- success because of all of you, and we greatly appreciate that. But that's going to pretty much do it for us tonight. you listen to Jason and JV, Beyond Reality Radio. We'll catch you all tomorrow. <laughs>
1: Visit our chat room as well at beyondrealityradio.com. Thanks for listening.